0: Buonasera e benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. My name is Kimberly Holcomb and your name is...
1: Tommaso. Tommaso il famoso. (laughs) Il famoso. The gentleman, or was it a woman, I don't know, someone said... You guys don't drink anymore while you're... You don't talk about your drinking. You are like having a drink while you're recording. Well, we are now. Suggestion taken. <laughs> We're having a scotch.
0: All right. Well, with that, in case you hear a little ice cubes...
1: Um, this is Italian with a little bit of Scotland thrown in.
0: <laughs> this episode anyway. Yes. We do love scotch in the winter months. All right. A very grande grazie mille to several people that posted reviews on Apple Podcasts. Sandman, you are a devoted listener, and we're happy, very happy to know that you appreciate the history and the culture that we share in most episodes. And to Francesca, thanks for letting us know that you and your husband listen to our podcast while working out in the gym. (laughs) That cracks me up because... I have to have Led Zeppelin like pounding in my my ears as loud as possible to get a good workout. So the fact that you two can listen to us blab on and on about Italy is fabulous.
1: Three, two, one. Let's go. Let's go faster. Let's go. High intensity intervals.
0: <laughs> oh, maybe I should be speaking faster for Francesca and her husband. <laughs> also, Francesca said something in her review that I found just so such an astute outlook on traveling. She said, I truly believe traveling is soul expanding, and you are a catalyst to that.
1: Wow.
0: Right? Isn't that fabulous? That's- and I believe that as well. Like, just I thought once I read that this morning, I thought back to my very first time to Europe. I was 15 or 16. I went with my Spanish class with Senor Giamalva, my awesome teacher. And we went to Paris for a few days because that's where the plane landed from Chicago. And then we went to Spain and witnessing those two cultures, experiencing those two cultures that were so very diverse from mine. Hayseed. Hayseed. (laughs) God. Yes, I grew up in the middle of uh, the country. Anyway, (laughs) thanks a lot, Tom. (laughs) he's cracking himself up over there anyway experiencing those two cultures at that young age just just took hold and sucked me in forever so francesca's two words there soul expanding i think is just as succinct as you can get brava francesca and also grazie tanto to as0824 whatever the numbers are whose real name I now know due to the fact that she and her husband have engaged me to plan their trip and one that they're taking without their young children. So they are extra excited. And they also welcome the culture and the history we talk about, which, in our opinion, is what truly makes Italy such an amazing place to visit. It's not
1: just the food and the wine. And it's great traveling without children. We travel all the time without ours. (laughs) We don't have any. There you go.
0: (laughs) However, whether you hire me or not to plan your trip, it is truly gratifying to hear how many of you appreciate all that we share in each podcast episode. And for those of you whose trips I am planning or have planned, it's a complete joy for me to hear about which place was your favorite, which pasta changed your life forever. Mm. (laughs) I get that a lot. And all the other special little things I do to plan for every single client's trip that they will remember forever. So I really appreciate
1: all these reviews. I'd like to speak for a couple of seconds regarding one of the responses we got about the arts. And also, if you are planning to go to Europe this summer and you're interested in the arts, uh, there's something I want to say about Holland, but has nothing to do with Italy, but has something to do with Italy. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. A qu- first of all, a quick shout out to Jessica Maxson on Facebook. Uh, she took our advice and went to Vittorio Carpaccio at the National Gallery in Washington. She lives in Washington.
0: Awesome. Yeah, she
1: lives in Washington, D.C. And she loved the show. And she thanked us for suggesting it. And uh, she says she loves the podcast and she hopes we get to see the exhibit in Venice. So, on Diamo. Yeah. Well, there you go, travel planner. Get the, get the keys dancing, get the fingers dancing on the keys for flights. And one more thing goes back to travel planning also and the arts. Um, there's a big Vermeer show, the oh, Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. Vermeer, I love him. And it is sold out. Oh. What does this have to do with Italy? people who are interested in the arts are booking stuff in advance. And I know this is a big show because there's never been a show with all his paintings like this in once. But if it's good, people are going to want to go, so think about planning ahead because these cultural experiences, they're in great demand. That's all. Very good travel tip actually. A little more than a couple of seconds, but That's
0: all right. Bob Anne. All right, let's dive back in. Alora Let's chat about the rest of our stay, Tommaso and my stay in Milan. And if you did not listen to the previous episode, we stayed in this glorious, historic, beautiful hotel. So do listen to that and then you'll catch up. And as we mentioned, the hotel, Grand Hotel de Milan, is on Via Manzoni, right down the street from La Scala, the world-famous opera house. So Tommaso and I decided to you know, retrace the footsteps of Giuseppe Verdi, Enrico Caruso, Maria Callas, and all the other players in the world of opera. Some of them, of course, at the beginning may have taken a horse drawn carriage or the first automobile, but a few must have walked. So we walked down the sidewalk of Via Manzoni to La Scala, which is a stunning, beautiful building. We've both been in it before, so we decide to just cross the street walk right next to the sculpture of Leonardo da Vinci, which I have a fantastic photo of Tommaso from your very first time to Milano, underneath Leo. Remember that? Mm -hmm. It's cute. Your hair is like down to your shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, from there, we walked into the north entrance of Galleria Vittorio Emanuele, which we have also discussed in previous episodes. I described the beauty of this interior In those episodes, our first view of Milano, it is so stunning architecturally that it attracts tourists year round. However, Italians love to stroll through it as well. So we were there on January 3rd, I believe it was, and it was a rainy, kind of dismal, ugly day. And I thought, it's not going to be that bad. Let's do it. So it wasn't as crowded as when I was there previously, a year or so before, but it's so gratifying to walk through that beautiful, beautiful space and look at all the detail from the floor, the marble floor up to the glass dome top. It's just stunning. And I used to do it every day, just about every day when I lived there because my tram stop was right next to the Duomo. So I got my fix of the Duomo, my fix of Vittorio Emanuele. And so every time I go back, I just want to remember all the joy I got out of looking at all this architecture. However, you know, that is way, way back in the days that I lived there before this global mass tourism that we have, but we did it and it wasn't all that crowded. No, it was very nice. It was was just lovely. And our goal, if you remember Tommaso, was to go to the scene of Tommaso's first crime. (laughs)
1: Cardinal sin. (laughs) Excommunicated from the Catholic Church in Italy.
0: (laughs) His first crime in Italia. We went to the bar, the famous bar that has been serving cappuccinos and cocktails for 108 years called Camparino. It's at the very far end of Galleria Vittorio Emanuele, right at the south end where the Duomo is. And Davide Campari, who is the son of Gaspare Campari, he who invented the famous bitter, he opened this bar in 1915 with a beautiful Beaux-Arts interior. And my favorite part of this whole place is that everyone who works there wears a white tuxedo and a black bow tie to this day.
1: A white tuxedo jacket.
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. Just the jacket. So
1: Tommaso and I- It's not a prom from the 70s.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then it would be like- um,
1: Lime, lime, sherbet green.
0: (laughs) So, we keep dating ourselves with those kind of things, you know, but whatever. So, we Tommaso and I went to Camparino to have a cappuccino, and we did. And do you remember? I noticed they had a brand new machine, it wasn't that old classic espresso machine or, you know, cappuccino maker. It was this big, like Rolls Royce.
1: Well, the warranty runs out after 40 (laughs) billion cappuccinos.
0: (laughs) So we had one cappuccino and that's it at this place. Because what actually happened, for those of you that haven't listened to that episode, 50, 60 episodes ago, the first time I took Tommaso to Italy... It was to Milano, we went into Camparino, he ordered a cappuccino, we were about the only ones in there, and he sipped it like it was liquid gold, and right as he put it down, the the little cup was just hitting the saucer, and he goes,
1: Ancora, Popovore.
0: Yes, I had taught him how to say, another one, please, but not right after the first one. So he did it, and the waiter just looked at him like, Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why we went back on this trip and we just had the one, the single cappuccino. And after that, I said, please, I just want to go into the drama. Last few times I've been here, it's not been available. I'm going in. Okay, no problem. We had our little umbrellas. Tommaso said, I'll just be hanging out here because as we entered, you know, walked up the few steps to the entry of the drama, I did not see a line and I got instantly excited, like beside myself excited, like, I get to go into the Duomo. And so Tomas goes, I'll be over here just hanging out waiting. So I go in, I get close, and then peripherally to the right, I see
1: the snake of the line. The line.
0: So many people. I just like stood there, and I got so depressed so quickly and just actually annoyed, to be honest, because I saw over there all these other church lady people fans like myself, waiting <laughs> patiently in the rain to go into one of the most remarkable Duomos in Italy. So I go back and I find Tommaso. I'm like, done. I'm not doing it. Let's go. And then you pointed out.
1: So as I was standing there, and this is in the drizzle, mind you. I had the umbrella launched above my head, waiting for Kim. She, you know, She thought she could make a mad dash in and out of the Duomo. I was standing on the steps in front of the Duomo, approximately 80 feet away. Now, I actually measured this on Google Earth when we got back. Why? Well, because I wanted to figure out... I'll, I'll answer that question uh, okay, okay. as we go along here. Okay. But as I was waiting for my travel planner to get her fix of the Duomo, <laughs> right? Right next to me were two men, eh, probably in their 20s, maybe early 30s. Were they Italian? No, they were definitely not Italian. Okay. No. And because I don't think any Italian man will put himself in this position, okay? (laughs) But one held a gimbaled iPhone setup that he was the production crew, I guess. (laughs) And the other had on a pair of dark sunglasses. In the rain. In the rain. And trying to look like, I'm not sure, but he looked pretty stupid to me. (laughs) So after a brief instruction discussion between them, the talent (laughs) or the influencer... Whatever you might like to call him, he struck a very haughty pose, looking up the sixty or seventy degrees to the facade of the Duomo, and the photos began. This is why I measured it because I wanted to figure out why, you know, how he had to look that high. I say, I say, you know, and it's three hundred some odd feet up there. Of course, you 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 can't look at it at straight out. You've got to make right. Oh. Make it more dramatic. Make it more dramatic. And, and did, he did he still he had hand on hip and everything? Oh and my god! Did anyway, he
0: still have the sunglasses on?
1: Yes, oh, yes, shit. yes. Maybe take the drips of water in Photoshop. I don't know. And the photos began, and I'm not sure he got the shot he wanted because I was almost laughing out loud. He had to get out of the, and <laughs> had to get out of the area lest I offend them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't wait. I'm all for taking pics when on vacation, but this new posed genre, it just cracks me up. I mean. Just me and this I know. beautiful building. I know. Right. In sunglasses on a rainy day. So, this photo should have been titled Dumb and Dumber Goes to Milan. Oh,
0: for Pete's sake. I can guarantee you that those two men did not do any of the history to know that there's 3,042 life size standing free sculptures up there. You know what I mean?
1: No. Right. Again, Dumb and Dumber Goes to Milan. <laughs>
0: All right, from there, after my massive disappointment of not getting into the Duomo, we walked back through the Galleria to the Galleria d'Italia, which just means the main gallery like museum of Italy. And we went to see an exhibition called From Medici to Rothschild. But first, I want to tell you about the building itself because it's amazing. It looks like all the other stately buildings in Italian cities, but this one, which is called Palazzo Beltrami, was built in 1906 to be the headquarters of Banca Commerciale Italiana, the biggest bank in Italy at the time. And the building was the headquarters for the bank until 2011, when it joined two other stunning buildings on this corner across from La Scala and hence
1: became Galleria d'Italia. But it also still is part of the bank.
0: I don't believe so. Yes,
1: it is, because the bank actually sponsors. Oh. All right. They have. Oh,
0: you're right. In yes. The far, far end, we did see.
1: Ding, ding, ding. Points on the board.
0: Right. Good for you, Tommaso. I totally forgot about that. There was an entrance to the bank. Interesting. Well, all of these buildings then became Galleria d'Italia which is now the hub for art and culture in Milano. The other two buildings that house these exhibits as well, one was built in 1720 and it's stunning. And the other one from 1841. And all three of them have these interiors that blows your mind. Grand staircases made out of marble, complete marble floors, marble walls, marble columns, elaborate details everywhere. And when Tommaso and I entered the main entrance to go see this exhibit, we had, we were told, we paid for the ticket, we were told we had to put our bags and coats downstairs. So when we started walking down this marble circular staircase with that striking wrought iron like balustrade, it was so beautiful. I just stopped in my trucks. I had to get out my Phone than the camera and take photos because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen, and I can guarantee you, I had never seen a more beautiful coat room in my life.
1: Yes, <laughs> it was. It was very. Think nice. of
0: when we go to the Met in Manhattan. You go to the coat room. You are like down a grungy elevator and put your stuff. They throw it in these little cubicles. This place was absolutely stunning. We walked back up the circular marble staircase and the exhibition was on the main floor of the lobby, which had most likely been the main lobby of the bank. You know, like one of those lobbies built
1: to impress. Okay. Well, the bank derived from the merger of several other banks. The bank is now called Intesa San Paolo. Oh, Right? So they're one of the biggest banks in Italy. They're all over Europe. They even yes. have a off- couple offices in America. And this project, as I mentioned, I googled this quickly while you were going on there for a few seconds. <laughs> but they've got others. It's the the Milan Museum is also <laughs> is also partnered with another one in Turin, Napoli, and Vicenza, and it's called Progetto Cultura.
0: Bravo, Progetto Cultura.
1: Progetto Cultura.
0: Bravo, Tommaso. All right. Well, we were completely in awe of not only just the building, the interior of what had been the bank itself, all these bold designs, this huge atrium ceiling that felt like it was three stories tall. Just everything was dramatically lit, just absolutely beautiful. And then there was this fantastic
1: exhibition. Which is titled, From the Medici to the Rothschilds, Patrons, Collectors, and Philanthropists. And I talked about this back in October when you were on the trip to Rome and I had to do an episode by myself. Right, 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 And then, you know, we didn't plan to go to Italy at that point in October. We were just, I was doing an episode and all of a sudden we got to see it, which was great because it was something that really, I mean, the presentation was just so phenomenal. Each patron had his own little area and, you know, they had everything placed so well with very dramatic lighting and it was, it was very, very intimate and it was well, you know, when you go to a big museum like the Met or even the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, it can be um, white and sort of big. You know you're in a museum. And, the and museums like that in good, Europe. Good, good point. But oftentimes you felt like you were in a living room. In in this case, yes. you felt like you were in the a villa. The Rothschild Villa. I've been there, done that. Right. Yes. <laughs> anyway, it felt very intimate. And as you wound through each of these little rooms into the next one, it was very different in each one because each one had a different uh, a, a different focus on their patronage. It was one of the more, what's the way to describe it? You know, uh, low-key but grand. I think there was I, I, that's one way I can describe it. But also what I thought was the way
0: they described that, patronage from that family to those specific artists they detailed why they commissioned them to do this that and the other and the artwork that came out of it which is what we saw wasn't the most famous but it was important and played a role in each medium sculpture
1: paintings architecture it was really really well done and the chairman his name is giovanni Bazzoli. He put out a statement, which I read online a couple of weeks ago, and here's the quote that he put out. Without the support of bankers, myriad works of art would never have seen the light of day. The thesis of the show is that coinciding with a period of history over the past 500 years in which democratic values have been affirmed, a reciprocity between culture and money has occurred. Well said. Well, he's the chairman of the bank. He's a pretty smart guy.
0: <laughs> so we really loved it. My personal favorite, can I just say it quickly, was Busto di America, which is a sculpture of a bust by Hiram Powers, who's an American, and funny enough, was born in Woodstock, Vermont, and then moved to Florence when he was maybe in his late 20s. And he became an internationally renowned sculpture. This Busto di America is a bust of a woman, and in her hair, she has this little low-key headpiece with 13 stars carved into it, representing America's 13 original colonies. But what got me about seeing this bust in person was the quality of the white marble. And it was obviously most likely from Carrara and the way it was lit, the way it was presented, you know, like in that little alcove that was set back from the blackish wall. This alcove was painted like this dark khaki color with the pedestal that it sat upon painted the same dark khaki color. And then this white Carrara marble bust of this beautiful, simple woman's face who is supposed to be representing America. Even if you had no desire or care about art, I don't think anyone could have walked by The way this bust was lit and displayed without stopping and thinking, wow, something would affect you. It was really tastefully well done and made you stop and think and wonder what it was. So, the entire exhibit I thought was great. If it's traveling around the world, do you know if it is? It isn't. It isn't. No. We were lucky then. We're lucky. We were lucky. All right, after we left this exhibit, we wanted more art. So we walked to the Brera district, which I've mentioned before. We had to get our fix of walking through the Academia de Belle Arte, otherwise known as the Pinacoteca de di Brera, one of the world's oldest art schools. And it was, as we mentioned, a dreary weather day. So it wasn't as magnificent looking as it is on a sunny, beautiful day. But you still... We still got a thrill out of walking through these corridors and thinking of all the artists that went before. And I also want to take Tommaso to the fine art store that has been on Via Brera for about, you know, 300 years, 500 years. But we were there during the lunchtime and that was a total rookie move of me to not think about the fact that it would be closed because... More often than not, small shops close between 12.30 and 2.30 or 3. So keep that in mind next time you're cruising around.
1: That's where I, I was dying to go there. I know. Because they have beautiful watercolors. And that's where you brought, you um, purchased those Tintorento travel brushes for me.
0: That's right. A couple years ago, mm-hmm. so I wanted to take them in person. And another, like, massive disappointment. <laughs> well, it also
1: saved me about 200 or 300 bucks because <laughs> right. I would have bought something, I'm sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, so from there, we walked back to the Grand Hotel de Milan, said our goodbye to the manager, Andrea, and they held a taxi for us to go to Cadorna train station, which is not that far away, but we were flying back to Copenhagen, so we needed to take the direct train to the airport. And here is a quick travel tip for anyone going from Milano to the Malpensa airport And you want to take the express train from the station Cadorna, which is smaller and a lot less annoying. It's it's not mayhem. (laughs) A lot less annoying than Stazione Centrale, the main train station in Milano. So this taxi driver actually said he saw our luggage, but everyone going on a train normally has luggage except for commuters. And the taxi driver actually asked me in Italian, are you taking the express train to Malpensa Airport? I said, see si. He's like, oh, another entrance, which is new to me. I had no idea, but they have set up another track and another entrance, so you need to know that, because if you were in a, a rush for time, if you didn't have much time to get to the train, and you were dropped off at the main entrance of Cadorna, forget it. That mm. entrance was quite a bit away.
1: Yeah, the wheels the wheels on the um yeah <laughs> on the on, our, on the on carry-ons our... <laughs> would be screaming.
0: So that's a quick travel tip for anyone going from Milano Cadorna to Malpensa Airport. From there we flew to Munich, which we did mention in a previous episode, but the funny part that we didn't mention is that we flew on Air
1: Dolomiti, which we I thought when I booked the flights. Oh, that's right. This
0: is your fault.
1: Yes, it said Lufthansa.
0: <laughs> Correct.
1: And you know they, um, for a man of my age without much of a backside, <laughs> they, uh, you know, it's like it's like a napkin strapped over metal.
0: Yeah, the seats. For a seat. The seats were made out of like extra hard plywood, minimal cushions. But maybe that's because they have very short flights, and they figure you you can put up with it. So from Milano to Munich was however long. And then when we got there, we had a very long layover, like two and a half, three hours. And so I get out my little Priority Pass app, find a fabulous lounge in another terminal. We took a bus there, we got in, and everything about this lounge was awesome, modern, everything modern and cool,
1: except the food,
0: <laughs> which was like
1: German schnitzel and It wasn't Dulles pretzel. food. It wasn't the Air France lounge in Dulles. <laughs> right. Pretzels.
0: However... They had, isn't that funny? We've come full circle. They had. I think John- we
1: mentioned it again, but we'll, we'll. I think we mentioned it one more time. We'll talk about it again, though.
0: They had Johnny Walker Red Scotch that night. Yes, so they we did. had A
1: couple of those, and Tomaso was uh, trying to
0: edit our recording that we did in Milano. So rather
1: unsuccessfully. All
0: right. Anyway, blah blah blah. Then we went to back to Copenhagen for two more nights. Just fantastic. Got to see our Danish family again and off we went. So a lovely, lovely two and a half, three week long trip over Christmas and New Year's. And we are grateful that we were able to do it. And we just wanted to share it with you. So I hope you enjoy it. And guess what? We have a a little diversion for next week's episode, because we have also had a lot of requests for, can't you just tell us about some of your more favorite pasta recipes. So <laughs> we're going to do that. And speaking of which, since we were just in Bologna during this trip, Tommaso and I filmed a video of his Bolognese that he made way back in like, I don't know, October or September or something
1: like that. It was right before Thanksgiving. I And I, to tell you the truth, I forgot about it. Well, we'll get back to it because you know that family I,
0: plan the trip for these two families that went together mm-hmm. they were bugging me every week where's Tomasa's video so we are going to get it up for you okay well now
1: i can actually speak to it better because you, i've, I've tasted the real thing and the, i know mine's good now too oh really it's not, again uh-huh. it's everyone is every one of them is good they're all different
0: All right. Next week's episode, a couple recipes and we will list the recipes and ingredients in the show notes on the platform where you listen to our podcast. Va bene?
1: We can't put the recipes and everything in the show notes. We'll put a link to a page on the website. I see. That'll have much more detail than we can fit in the show notes. Okay. Got it. Va
0: bene. Allora. Grazie mille. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao tutti.